Good morning, church. Our Bible reading today is from the book of Psalms, Psalm 57. If you're using the church Bible, it's on page 477. Psalm 57. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of men, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This is the word of God. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good, good. That's great. Hope you're good online as well. My name is Gareth Maggs, uh, and I'm part of the youth ministry here, and in fact, I'm actually the youth pastor at the church. Uh, this might confuse some of you, as you might think, isn't Black Newborn the youth pastor of the church? I want to clear a few things up. So over the past two years, Black and I have been running the youth ministry together, but recently Black has moved to our young adult ministry, which is called Style with Reggie. And so basically, Black has left me to corrupt the teenagers by myself. No, no, actually, that's not true. We have a whole team of youth leaders who are corrupting your teenagers. So we are a bit sad to see Black leave, uh, because let's face it, he is an incredible preacher and an incredible pastor. But there's one thing that we can rejoice in. Finally, Black is heading up a ministry whose name matches his dress sense. (laughs) Enough about youth ministry. We're in Psalm 57, so please keep your Bibles open there. Uh, I must tell you, I was originally given Psalm 2 to preach, um, but I chatted to Royden, and I asked if I could do Psalm 57 instead, because I want you to know this. Uh, So, well, let let me just share with you something. So at Christchurch Church and I don't know if you know this, but we have a, a songwriting ministry. Uh, it comprises of myself, uh, of Bronwyn Anderson, our music director, who was standing here, and of Jared, who was wearing the awesome pink, um, pink hoodie 
on the side here. Um, we're growing, um, and we've written a song that we're actually going to sing with you as a, as a congregational song after I finish preaching, and it's, it's inspired by Psalm 57. And we're going to sing it as a church. Now, let me tell you, this, this song started its journey about two years ago, and it started in my house. My daughter, Chloe, my eldest daughter, was only a few months old, and we were reading the Psalms together as a family just before Chloe's bedtime. We, we were kind of doing this every night. And uh, on the one evening, just before she went to bed, we, we hit Psalm 57. And there was a line in verse 8 that just jumped out at me. It's that line there that says, you can look at it in your Bibles, verse 8, it says, I will awake the dawn. Now the context here is that David is singing to the Lord. And the reason this blew my mind was that David, who is the author of the psalm, is saying that he's going to use his praise to metaphorically waken the dawn. Now, now we, we kind of know what this means because we have a phrase that says, let's lift the roof when we sing. You guys all know that, right? But David goes the extra mile. In fact, probably the extra 10,000 miles. Because David's, David says, never mind lifting the roof. Let's raise the sun when we praise our Lord. Can you see why that line hit me? So that night after reading the Bible, I was, I was filled with excitement. So I ran downstairs, I went to the kitchen, my heart was pounding, and I actually wrote the first line of the chorus of Awake the Dawn. But after that night, the psalm just consumed me. Because I, I really wanted to know, I wanted to know what it is that brought this man to praise the Lord with such vigor that he can lift the sun. And that's what this sermon's all about. So won't you pray with me? Lord, have mercy on us. We come to you as a God who is far greater. Many of us are weary. We're broken, we're tired, and we need your help to see the hope that is in your word, your word. Please anoint me with your spirit, that I may teach it boldly. Please anoint us all with your spirit, that we may hear what you have to say, and that it may change our lives. Amen. All right, so what's the context? Let's dive in. The context is simply this. David is in immense turmoil. He's facing immense suffering. How do I know this? Well, let's start by looking at the subtitle of the psalm. So just so you know, most of the subtitles that are in the Bible were added by your editors of your Bibles, okay? Except for the psalms. And I think Reggie kind of spoke on this uh, two weeks back. The headings and the subheadings were added by the original authors. And in this case... The author is King David. And he writes this in his subheading. He says, A victim of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Now, nobody knows what a victim is, but the important part of the line is actually the second part, where it says that David wrote this from the cave that he was hiding in when he fled from King Saul. Now, what this line refers to is actually what's happening in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 24. And you can go read it uh, at a later date, but I'm just going to kind of 
explain what's happening in, in 1 Samuel. See, David is, is not yet king, but he's been anointed as king. And he's on the run from a man who is king at the time, which is King Saul. And Saul knows that David has been anointed by God to be the next king. And he also knows that the people love David. Because David has been winning tons of battles. And more than that, he's been winning tons more battles than Saul has won. So you can imagine the jealousy and the anger and the guilt that Saul's facing. David has become a thorn in his side. And so King Saul thinks, I've got to get rid of this thorn. I've got to get rid of it. So he puts a mark on David's head. And David finds out about this, and David decides to run away. Long story short, we get to 1 Samuel 24, and we get to this point where David is hiding in a cave, and there are 3,000 men just outside not just any men, these are Saul's great soldiers. And we know from 1 Samuel 24 that David does eventually escape. God does eventually rescue him. But, it, but in that cave, when he's in the thick of his suffering, he feels the weight of his situation. And we get clues to what he must be feeling in our psalms. So have a look at verse 4 of our psalm. He says this, he says, My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. See, although David is sitting in the cave with men outside, he feels like he's surrounded. And he says he's in the midst of lions and amid fiery beasts. So he's not, he's not on the outside. He's in the center amid them, amidst them, surrounded by them. Now, although there's ordinary men outside, he feels like they are lions. Or actually, literally, adult lions, which emphasizes their greatness. He feels he's amid fiery beasts, and men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. In other words, these are not just ordinary men, these are monster men. And another word for fiery beasts is actually ferocious beasts emphasizing that these beasts are not just big and scary beasts, but they are hungry. And now, if you're in the midst of hungry lions, you know, you know something. There is no way out. They'll encircle you, and they will eat you. So David is in a terrifying situation. He's surrounded, and there's no way out. And, and if you look at the, the passage, you can see that he actually feels like his time is running out. Because if you go back to verse 2, it may say in your ESV Bible, him who tramples on me. But a, a better way of reading that is him who hotly pursues me. So David knows that his enemies are not just after him, they're right by him. And his time is running short. So he's in immense suffering, he's terrified, surrounded, there is no way out. And his time is running out, the beasts are going to get him. And he describes his situation like this. He says in verse 1, I feel like I'm in a storm. This is not just a, hey, I'm not doing so well. This is overwhelming, crushing kind of suffering. And I, I think many of us here can identify with this. Because there are many people in this church today or online who feel that there's no way out of their situation. They're terrified. 
You feel like it's just a matter of time before the beasts get you and your time is running out. You're in the storm. You're the kind of people lying awake at night because, because you look into the future and it's dark. Might be finances. You might be in financial turmoil and there is no way out of your situation. Maybe work-related, your business or your job is going down the tubes and you feel powerless to stop it. You're probably lying awake and you're shaking. You might even be here right now, but you're struggling to listen because right now the problem is going over and over and over in your head. And the anxiety is, the anxiety is just sitting there. Or you might have lost a loved one and you, you feel you can't go on. You, my friends, you're in the storm. If this is you, then you need to listen to this psalm. You need to sit up and pay attention. Because let me tell you something, this psalm has got an amazing message for us. But I want to also tell you something else. The message of the psalm is just nuts. It's nuts. I'm going to prove it to you. Let's read verse 4 again. It says this. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongue are sharp swords. We get this part. He's in the midst of intense suffering. But then look what happens next. Look what he says. He says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory be over all the earth. Is that not crazy? I mean, how, how can you go from being in this intense suffering to praising God? I mean, David, are you on some kind of drug? I mean, you might be thinking, you might be looking at this passage thinking, is there a portion of my Bible that's missing? Perhaps the part between verse 4 and 5, which explains how David was rescued, and then he's so thankful and he praises God? No. David's not on drugs. There's not a part of your Bible that is missing. David is in the midst of lions, and yet he is praising the Lord, and he's praising so powerfully that his worship has enough force to lift the sun. In fact, it says in verse 8 that David will awake his glory with his instrument, which means he wants to use his whole being to praise the Lord. Everything inside of him is just yearning to praise this Lord. And he wants to praise him so much that verse 9, he wants this praise to go over all of the world. I don't know about you, but I want what he's got. I want what he's got. And this psalm shows you how David gets there. Now, I need to let you know something. I am surrounded at this church by great preachers. I'm not sure why they decided to go down to the youth department to get me, but apparently they did. And so I thought to myself, I need to learn from these guys about what they do to make great sermons. I've learned a few things. One, you have to have three points. But if you're on a roll, each point needs to be one word only. But if you're really on a roll, each point needs to start with the same letter. So let me tell you, everybody, I have three points. 
They're all one word. And you guessed it, they all start with the same letter. Amen? Woohoo! Hopefully you remember them. Okay, the points are sovereign, send, and savior. So let's look at the first point, sovereign. So the main point of this passage, so if you stop listening at any point, you've got to listen now because here's the main point, and I'll repeat it twice. It says, David is able to praise God in the midst of suffering because he seeks refuge under the wings of the sovereign Lord. I'll I'll say it again. David is able to praise God in the midst of suffering because he seeks refuge under the wings of a sovereign Lord. So the main thrust of the psalm is the sovereignty of the Lord, and we're going to look at that in point one. And in point two, we're going to look at what God does within that sovereignty. And all of this brings about praise in the midst of trial. So let's look at verse one and two. It says this, it says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. So David's suffering is so severe that he realizes that he needs God's help. So he comes before the Lord and he takes refuge under the wings of the Lord. Now this picture of taking refuge under the wings of the Lord is it's quite, a, it's quite an amazing picture, isn't it? Because it, it kind of it makes you think of this little baby chicken. This little baby chick who is powerless and defenseless running to a big mommy or daddy chicken to take refuge under their big wings where it's warm and it's snuggly and it's safe where they feel loved and they know that no matter what challenges may come daddy or mommy chicken will look after me but i want you to notice that it's it's not just any wing that david is seeking refuge under this is a wing that according to verse 1, can withstand storms. Why is this? You see, because it isn't some ordinary chicken wing. This is the wing of the Lord, who David calls the God Most High. Now, now I find this term, God Most High, quite interesting. See, See, David could have just said, Sovereign God, but he said it a different way. Instead, he called him God Most High because he wants to emphasize something. God is higher than anything else. See, see, David is taking refuge under the wings of a God who is higher than any other God or any other thing in all creation, and that includes any form of suffering. This is why David, in verse 4, can lie down content because he's at peace in the midst of lions. See, I think, I think what David can say is he can say, yeah, I can see you big lions surrounding me, adult lions, but my God is bigger than you. You may be surrounding me, but my God is surrounding you. You may roar at me, but wait till you hear my God's roar. Ferocious beasts can come at me, monster men with their spear-like teeth, their swords like tongues, they can come at me, but you cannot penetrate the wing that I'm under. 
because it's the wing of the Almighty, the all-powerful God Most High. Can you see? Can you see why then, if you look at verse 5, can you see why he worships God like this? He says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. This is his first line of praise. He says, Let your glory be over all the earth. He is praising God for his sovereignty, for his greatness and his bigness. And when, when, you, when you get God's sovereignty in the midst of your trials, it can make you content, and your contentness can bring forth praise. Now, again, I, I, don't, I don't know what you're going through. I really don't. It, it may feel like it's overpowering, but it cannot overpower the Lord. So be like David. Seek refuge in him. And like David, you, you should be able to pray a prayer like verse 1 says, Lord, have mercy on my soul, for in you I take refuge. Because no matter what you are going through, it cannot overpower him. This God... My God, he split oceans. In fact, he stopped the sun for three days during a battle. He speaks and worlds are created. Is there anything that he can't do? There is nothing that is higher than him. So let me ask you this. Doesn't this want to make you praise the Lord with such vigor that the sun rises? Second point is, is send. So look at verse 2 and 3. He says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. See, see, it's all good and well that God is sovereign. But God could, in his sovereignty, just sit back in heaven, right? He could. He's God. He can do what he wants. But he doesn't. In his sovereignty, according to verse 3, he sends from heaven. And what does he send? Salvation and justice. See, look at verse 3. David says he will send from heaven and he will save, hence the word salvation. And he will put to shame him who pursues him, him who pursues me, which means he will be just. For we know from 1 Samuel 24 that David was being pursued for unjust reasons. Now, something great for us to learn from David here is that David not only knows that God will save and that God will be just, but he knows that God will do it in his own way. See, look at verse 2. David is crying out to the Lord, who David knows has a purpose for his life, a plan for David's life. So this is another way of, it's actually quite interesting, it's, it's this is a bit of a side road, but it's another way of showing that God is not just aloof sitting in heaven, He's invested in his kids. He has a plan. But why, why is this so helpful for David to state? Well, because David knows that God will save, but he may not save right now. Or he may not save in the way David wants because God has a plan for David's life. It may not be the same as David's plan for David's life. 
And it's the same with his justice. Rest assured, he will be just, but he won't do it. But he will do it in his time and in his way. I say this because sometimes we need to learn this from David. Because this is what we do. We, we pray to God and we kind of treat him like, like we're the boss and he's the employee. We say, God, I'm suffering and here's what you need to do. Then when we don't get what we ask for, we tend to feel like God isn't doing his job. And then we resent him or even worse, we fire him from our lives. And you may be praying like this right now. You may be praying, Lord, I'm unemployed and I really need this job. And if he doesn't give you the job, you'll likely resent him. Or worse, give up on him completely. You'll fire him. It may not be in this situation that you fire him, but trust me, give it a few trials when God doesn't answer your prayers in the way that you want, and you will fire him. You'll say things like, he doesn't care. See, if you pray like this, you need to realize that you're trying to be the boss, and you're making the God of the world your employee. It's the other way around. He's the boss. And he will save you. But it may not be in the way you think. He could, for example, save you by taking you to be with him. In other words, you could pass away, which means you are taken from a sinful world to his perfect one. You are saved. He could decide to let you suffer a bit longer before saving you. And he may do this because, as James 1, verse 2 to 4 says... Trials improve and strengthen your faith. Or he may save you, but it's not the solution that you think or want. For example, you could be praying for a promotion, thinking it will make your life better, but God doesn't give you that promotion. Instead, he might do something like give you more time with your family, which still makes your life better. The same is with the justice of the Lord. You may feel that you are suffering under unjust causes, but make no mistake, God will be just, whether it's in this life or the next. But it may not be the way you want it to be. However, make no mistake, he will be just. And let me tell you, his justice is far more severe than any justice that can be served out by people on earth. Now, I, I, was, I was sharing this passage with my legendary wife, Lauren. She is a legend. If you meet her, you'll know that. And she is the absolute queen of awesome illustrations. And uh, she was getting excited when she read this passage, and she said that this passage kind of gives you like fighting clothes for you to take on your suffering with. And I thought it was such a clever illustration, because think about it. When you're suffering, this is what you could do. When you're suffering, you can take a step back and you can go, okay, what do I know? I know that God is bigger than my suffering. He's higher. You put that on. I know that he will save me. Let me put that on. I know that he will be just. Let me put that on. And when you do that, you realize you've got something. You realize that though you are on the inside, God is covering you. How awesome is that? 
If that doesn't make you want to rejoice in the midst of your suffering, well, one final thing to say on point two is that God sends his salvation and justice out of a heart of love that is faithful. See, that's what you see at the end of verse three. See, he doesn't do this because he has to. He does it because he gets to. This is not a job for him where he says, it's my role. I kind of have to save. He does it because he loves you. This is the God who has a plan for you, who's invested in you like a father, and he wants to see justice and salvation come to you because he genuinely loves you. All he needs you to do is to come to him under his wings. So you can put on his sovereignty and you can put on the knowledge of his salvation and his justice, but you can also wear a sock that tells you that he loves you. And there's another sock. See, he doesn't just save you with justice and love from this situation, but he will do it in every situation. Why? Because he is faithful. So you can put on that sock too. He's not the parent who will walk out. He will love you and save you, and he will be just forever. Let me say this again. Doesn't this God make you want to lift the sun with praise? Our final point is Savior. I hope you're still with me. If you have five more minutes of brain power, please use it now before the whole thing shuts down. So when I read this psalm, one of the questions I asked myself was, how, how would the, the Israelite readers, the original readers of this, how would they have read it? And I think they would have certainly got a lot about how to praise God in the midst of suffering, but they would have seen one more reason to praise God. See, when you read this, you've got to understand something. You're not David in this psalm. David is a foreshadow of Jesus. Now think about it. David is God's anointed king. We can't be that. So while we can get some great points on how to endure suffering by learning from David, we can't say we are David. And the reason this brings about another point of praise is because the Israelites would have been thankful that God's chosen king did not give up trusting the Lord in the midst of his immense trial. See, David could have chosen not to take his refuge in the Lord, not to trust him to save, be just, etc. But if David had given up on the Lord, then he wouldn't have left that cave and become the king that would ultimately destroy the enemies of God. See, the rest of David's life he spent as king, was defeating God's enemies to the point that when his son Solomon took over, there was peace that lasted for 40 years. By rescuing David from the, get, the cave, God did something far greater than just providing peace in the individual situations of life. He gave lasting peace. He gave lasting refuge. Now David, as I said earlier, is a foreshadow of Jesus. And like David... Jesus was in a situation where he felt that there was actually no way out. And you might remember from, uh, from Easter, from Good Friday, my legendary boss, Royden Frost, yes I know, I'm sucking up to everyone today. 
Royden preached a pretty amazing sermon on Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane from Mark chapter 14. And it was an amazing sermon because not only did he have three points, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I actually can't remember how many points he had. But the reason why the sermon was so amazing was because Royden showed just how much of a catch-22 Jesus was in. You see, the Garden of Gethsemane is the place Jesus prayed in before he went to the cross. And because he knew the punishment and torture that was about to happen to him was so much and so overwhelming, he was terrified. So terrified that he actually sweated blood. Like David, he was in the midst of monsters, except his monster was the cross, and he had no way out. But we can be so thankful that Jesus did not give up trusting God. Because he could have given into the temptation of Satan and chosen not to go to the cross, but he didn't. He trusted in God's will the whole way. And you know what? God did save him. Because although he died, he eventually was resurrected. Because he trusted in the Lord, he escaped the garden. And went on to defeat our biggest enemy, which is actually sin. When he did that, he not only ushered in peace that lasted 40 years like David, he ushered in a peace that lasts forever. That peace, that refuge, is actually available to us if we come and we seek refuge under his wing. See, what Jesus has done here, he's, he's given us another item of clothing, hasn't he? When I trust him, I have his peace. And I know that, this, that in this life, I won't fully experience that peace, but one day I will. One day I will be with him in a place where there is no suffering, where there is no tears and no hurt. And I can praise him in my suffering now, knowing that one day I will be in an eternity of complete and perfect refuge in him. See, to end off, I don't know where you are at or what you are going through, but trust in God. And the way you do that is by trusting in Jesus. And when you do that, when you sit under his sovereign wing, he will save you from your trials. He will be just. He will love you. He will always be faithful. And one day, one day you will be with him forever in paradise. So let me say it one last time. Doesn't this God make you want to lift the Son in praise. I'm going to pray now. And then after this, we're going to sing Awake the Dawn. Let's pray. Almighty God,
We thank you that in the midst of our trials, you always save, you are always just, you always love, you're always faithful, and one day we know we will be with you forever in paradise. I pray, Lord, that these truths may be the clothes that we put on in the midst of trials. And I pray that we put on those clothes by trusting in your Son, Jesus. And I pray that when we do this, that though we may be in the greatest of suffering, we may still praise you with enough vigor that it awakens the dawn. I pray this in your majestic and amazing name. Amen. On the actual day that that sermon was preached, um, the, the internet dropped in our last song, uh, which was Awake the Dawn, which was the song that the sermon speaks about. And so we felt that we wanted to still add the song onto the end uh, for those watching the service or the sermon post the actual uh, post Sunday, the 2nd of May. Uh, so unfortunately, you've just got me playing at this time. On the actual Sunday, we had the whole band, but you've just got me. So I hope you can still praise the Lord <laughs> with just me on my guitar. So come join me. Let's sing Awake the Dawn. We will awake the dawn And let the praises ring For our God has come to save us There is rest beneath these wings We will awake the dawn And let the music play For the night cannot consume us We'll forever praise the God who brings the day. Have mercy, Lord, and hear our prayer. When we are drowning in deep despair, with weary hands too tired to fight, Help us see the dawn that overcomes the night For we have hope It's in the cross Where Jesus died Yet evil lost Though storms arise Our hope is strong Crashing waves can't break the rock we're standing on. We will awake the dawn and let the breezes ring. For our God has come to save us. There is rest beneath these wings. We will awake the dawn and let the music play. The night cannot consume us We'll forever praise the God Who brings the day When lights surround We'll hear Him roar Though earth may quake Our ground secure Hands torn with nails 